Hello friends, and thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon from Spring Hill Baptist Church in Millport, Alabama. We're currently working through the Gospel of John in our sermon series entitled, That You May Have Life. Our prayer is that this time in God's Word would be edifying for you. God bless. If you have a Bible this morning, please go ahead and take it out and open it to the book of John. John chapter 21. That's, uh, that's the last time I'll say that for a really long time, I promise, okay? Because we're finishing John today. This is the, the last day that we're in the book of John. I don't know if you've been keeping track, but it's been since April 8th of lat, no, of two years ago, April 2018. So we've been in John on Sunday mornings for a little over a year and a half. And uh, man, it has been wonderful for my walk with the Lord. I hope that it's been wonderful for your walk with the Lord. I'm not saying every sermon has been wonderful. But I know that the Word has been wonderful every sermon. Uh, God's Word is perfect, and it is wonderful. Um, and really, it's been perfect for our church, I think, in this season. Um, you know, I, I think that I've just discerned that, that we needed this, that we needed this walk through this book, and I hope that it's been uh, instructive and encouraging to you guys. Uh, this book closes with a great call to believers, uh, to readers, to non-believers, to all people. Anyone that's reading this book, it closes with a great call to its readers. We've seen many things in the book of John, but really, if you wanted to summarize it all down to one thing, we've really just seen that Jesus is marvelous, that Jesus is the Christ, that He is amazing. And that's been the main theme of the book of John. In fact, John even said that. His whole thing was to say, Jesus is the Christ. And I want you to believe that. He wants to paint a picture that sees Jesus as marvelous. He wants us to see, even now as we close this morning in the book of John, this final chapter, this final passage, I think that John wants us to see that disciples fall. Disciples fail. But Jesus forgives. And Jesus commissions. And I think in two words, what we'll see in this book that should resonate with us is something from Jesus that's very simple. And I'll say it to Peter, and we'll read it in just a moment. And that is, follow me. Follow me. An imperfect man that is perfectly loved by Christ. Follow me. Isn't that a great word for us? So let's look at it together, okay? If you have a Bible, then great. We're going to look at John 21, 15 through 25. If not, it should be on the screen behind me, but uh, grab one of those in the pew in front of you, if you will, because we're going to be walking through the text this morning. John 21, 15 through 25. <clears throat> this is what the Word says. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, (coughs) son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, 
What about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that will be written. Amen. Amen. This chapter, chapter 21, is really the last, uh, I mean, yes, it's the last chapter, but it's also the last section of the book of John. We've talked about that in the last couple of weeks, that there was an introduction, we called it the prologue, just like any book that you would pick up and read in your own time, a lot of times it has a prologue, and so the prologue says what's about to happen. We read the prologue at the beginning, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. After that, it began this very long section of John, which is sort of the narrative backing up of that prologue. Everything the prologue said, this is the narrative unpacking of what that said, and that was that Jesus is the Christ, that he is Lord, that he is master, that he is savior, that he is God. We looked at that for a long time. And then chapter 21 began after this conclusion at the end of chapter 20. And chapter 21 was a little bit different. As we had a prologue at the beginning, now we had an epilogue, which is sort of a, a trailing off, a telling you what happens next. <clears throat> the epilogue, we see it in two parts. The first part we looked at last week, and we kind of broke that down as by saying, Following Jesus looks like a couple of things. And last week we saw this, that number one, it was trusting Him in our weakness and in our need. And then secondly, we saw that it means that if we're to follow Jesus, it means that we have a zeal to be with Him. And we saw this, not in some great you know, situation, we saw this in a fishing trip. These guys went fishing, and Jesus taught them these two beautiful principles. Jesus did do something amazing, though. They didn't catch anything all night, which is their vocation, which was a real bummer. But Jesus filled their net to teach them a principle. And that is that he is the sovereign provider in their weakness. We also saw that Peter could not rightly follow Jesus until he rightly saw zealously to be with Jesus. This week we see the second part of this epilogue. And that's that following Jesus is still the center theme, but we see it in a sort of a different way. When reading narrative like the book of John, and that just means when reading a story, or reading a narrative, a story like, like the book of John, we have to be mindful of the story, not just as we're looking at it this morning. Like I said, we're looking at just a small, tiny chunk of Scripture, but we really have to see, especially when it's talking about these two characters, we have to see their relationship for more than what it is in this passage. For example, if you were to watch just one scene of a movie where there's this big argument, and you're like... That doesn't say what happened to cause this big argument. Then you have to understand that if you read the whole story or watch the whole story in its place, then there were things that were building up to that argument, right? I mean, when the Titanic sinks in the movie Titanic, you're not just like, hmm, there's a boat sinking. No, it's the fact that it's been built up as this amazing ship that's never supposed to sink. And so in this passage, when we're reading it, we have to understand that Peter and Jesus have a history. There's things that are going on behind the scenes here, behind this text. And even before this text, that built on top of this, Jesus and Peter are the two main figures in this final moment of the book of John. And their relationship had suffered significant damage just days prior. Remember, Peter's the one that was there by that charcoal fire when Jesus was being beaten, slandered, spat upon. And by the light of this charcoal fire, 
Peter denies Jesus three times. This is their history. And this is just a few days before this event happens. And by the way, we find ourselves around another charcoal fire, which we looked at last week. Guys, Peter was a follower. He was a disciple. But he was one that we can empathize with, right? He was often messing up, but he had been mercifully forgiven. He remained perfectly loved. And now he is graciously recommissioned. You see, this last interaction is perfect for us, for the reader, because Peter is often us, or maybe spoken better is, we are often Peter, a follower, often messing up, but mercifully forgiven, but perfectly loved. And here in this building, under this teaching, you're here for recommissioning, just like Peter. So this is going to be our outline today if you're taking notes this morning, and you'll see it on the screen behind me, I think. It's our or my follow me recommission. We're going to see this in three different ways, okay? Number one is action, not just position. My follow me recommission. Number one, action, not just position. When we left off uh, last week, the guys had had breakfast. These are the disciples, at least seven of them. They'd had breakfast. They'd caught a lot of fish. I think it was 157, 158. I can't remember the exact. It was 153, okay? They just caught all these fish, this gigantic haul by a miraculous thing done by Jesus. And this seems to be what happens next in a, in a private and an intimate conversation between just two guys. And so it's sort of a, a moving forward. The disciples aren't all around. There's this private conversation between Jesus and Peter, really two Private conversation. So look at the first part of verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, <coughs> Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We'll stop there for just a second. Now, more than these what? Do you love me more than you love eating these fish? Do you love me uh, more than you love your, your boys here on the beach with us? What, what exactly is he saying? Literally what Jesus is saying here is, do you love me more than the rest of the disciples love me? which seems like maybe in our ears a a weird question. He's saying, do you love me more than these guys love me? It's not a competition. Jesus isn't asking him to one-up his guys. No, the heart of this question is a question of, will you be, even more than they are, unwaveringly loyal to me? Now remember who he's talking to here. Remember who he's talking to. It's Peter. Peter, do you love me even more than they love me? Will you be unwaveringly loyal to me? The parallels to the betrayal at Jesus' trial trial are undeniable, especially considering the thing that happens next. Remember, Peter was asked three times, are you a follower of Jesus? And he denied it three times. But look at verse 15b, the second part here. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now remember, just days prior, Peter's loyalty was shattered when he collapsed When asked three questions regarding whether or not he followed Jesus. Did he love Jesus enough to stand by him in his arrest? No, he did not, clearly. And now Jesus asks Peter three new 
questions that boil down to the same thing. Will Peter love Jesus enough to follow him in action no matter what? He'd already proven the answer was no. But now he's recommissioning him and saying, Peter, I'm asking you a different three questions. But it's the same three questions. Do you love me? Will you stand by me? And Peter gets upset. Because clearly what, we, what he sees here is that there is doubt at the heart of Jesus' persistent questioning. But Jesus intends more than just to gather information from Peter. Peter said it himself, Jesus knows everything. Did you see it <clears throat> in these three verses? Look at what Jesus tells him. Verse 15, he asks the question. Yep, you better believe it, he says. And then he tells him, feed my lambs. The second question, he responds, tend my sheep. Thirdly, he responds, feed my sheep. There's action behind these things. He doesn't just take his word for it. He says, show me the actions. Essentially, what's happening here is that Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Show me. Peter, do you love me? Yep. You know I do. Show me. Several times, um, when I was in college, I went somewhere with my parents. I think that I was just at their house uh, one weekend or one week or something, and I was I was still single, and um, I was a poor college student, like maybe some of you guys are, right? Uh, and so I was there at their house just for the week, probably on a vacation or something, and my mom had this uh, snack uh, that she had brought. It was um, it was cracked. Was it cracked black pepper and olive oil triscuits? Has anybody ever had those things? Do you? Okay, so I tried these things with like some Colby Jack cheese and I like put it on the top and I loved it. I was like, this is delicious. I really found paradise of a snack. You know what I'm saying? Do you ever have those moments? Well, I really enjoyed these things and you know, I told my mom, I, I love these, these cracked black pepper and olive oil triscuits. And she's like, really? I said, yeah, I love these things. Put some Colby Jack cheese on it. We got us a party, right? Here's the thing. After that day, my mom, I mean, seriously, it seemed like every time I was at her house, she loved me to death. And so she, guess what she had at her house? She had those Triscuits and she had some black, or she had some uh, Colby Jack cheese. But here's the thing. My taste buds changed and it didn't take long. I was just like, these aren't that good. <laughs> Maybe I was just really hungry the first time that I ate it. And I was just like, these aren't that good. And it got to the point where I was just like, I don't even want to eat these. But I didn't tell her that. I'm not like, mom, stop buying these things. These things are not that good. No, I wouldn't say that, right? But the thing is, whenever I would come around and she would have them, which was for real, like every single time, I would barely eat any or I would just not touch them. I mean, how much could I really love them if I never talk about them, never eat them, or really never even break the seal? Well, here's the thing. I, I never told my mom that, and even to this day, and this sermon's online. I sort of hope she doesn't listen to it. Sorry, mom, if you're, you're going to, okay. So I love the, okay, I love your love for me. I don't really love those. Don't get them anymore. Anyway, so what I'm saying is, how much can I really love those things if I don't ever talk about them, if I don't ever eat them, if I don't even, like I said, break the seal? The principle applies to more than just something silly like that snack food. The principle applies to friendships. It applies to relationships. It applies to marriages. The principle is this, that love is just a worthless word unless it is affirmed in action. Love is just a worthless word unless it is affirmed in action. It's so clear. Loving Jesus is not just an emotion. It is an emotion that leads to unwavering action. And obviously, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach Peter. 
Love is more than just some emotion that you have within you. It is an emotion that leads to unwavering action. You see, Jesus is calling Peter to pastor, to shepherd his sheep, to be the rock upon which he builds his church. And Peter will demonstrate his love for Jesus by loving God's people and feeding them his word. Jesus gives Peter action, not just a position. He tells him to go be about action, not just about being a position. Notice he says, tend, feed, shepherd, not go become a pastor, not go become become a Sunday school teacher. He's not telling him to take up a position. He's telling him to do the work of that position. Guys, God doesn't call you to just hold a position or hold a title. He calls you to action. The same way that you're hired as a construction worker, not just to hold a title, but to build things. As a plumber, not just to hold a title, but to build or to do things with that title. It's the same principle. You're hired as a teacher, not just to hold your title as a teacher and sit at your desk and do nothing, but to teach. Christian cannot be your label without it being your lifestyle. Otherwise, this is the essence of betrayal. And that's what Jesus is telling Peter. Christian cannot be your label, cannot be your title, without it being your lifestyle. Christian, Jesus is saying to his readers here, us, do you love me? You would say, yes. And Jesus would say, show me. God didn't just call you to the position of parent. He called you to be a parent. To parent. God didn't just call you to a vocational position. He called you to represent Christ in your vocational position. It means that you follow Jesus as a teacher. You follow Jesus as a student. You follow Jesus as a friend. You follow Jesus as a neighbor. You follow Jesus as a Sunday school teacher, as a pastor, whatever field, whatever position you hold, your position can be Christian, but your lifestyle must be Christian, more than just your position. You can fill in the blank. As a, whatever that may be, how can I activate my love for Jesus? And is it active? How can I activate my love for Jesus in my position? Otherwise, that is the essence of betrayal. And there will be barriers to this type of act of love. And that's our second follow me recommission. And that is to glorify God in all seasons. To glorify God in all seasons. <clears throat> when I say f- in all seasons, obviously I'm, <coughs> I'm not just talking about <coughs> spring, summer, fall, and winter, right? No, I mean in all seasons, in the highs and in the lows. We sang a song just a moment ago, I raise a hallelujah. Do you know what the word hallelujah means? You may, even though you may not. The word literally just means praise God. I raise a praise God. Did you listen to the words of that song? I raise a praise God. When? All the time. In the highs. In the lows. I raise a praise God. So when you hear that word, hallelujah, hear it as that. It's a praise God. I raise that no matter the circumstances. And we see this next. Look at verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, which is a way of emphasis. He's saying, listen up. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, 
you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. (coughs) Verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. When I first read verse 18, it kind of sounds strange, right? When you're young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. The first time I read that, I thought about, uh, you know, I'm not calling anybody out or anything. Okay. But I'm just saying I've been here three years and I've had a few conversations with some of our less young people than other people. I'll say that very carefully. Okay. Uh, and some of them have gotten to the point in life where, you know, their children will say, I don't want you driving or I don't want you living here by yourself. And there's a little bit, maybe just a little bit of, of anger that comes from that. Right. It's like, you can't tell me I can do this. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I can do whatever. But you know, maybe there's some wisdom there. You don't need to be driving. You don't, you don't need to be living by yourself. That's not, that's not safe. And when I first read this passage, I thought about that. That's not what Jesus is saying, all right? He's not saying that you're going to be an elderly man and you're going to have somebody, you know, taking care of you, Peter. No, Peter wouldn't reach that phase of life. He wouldn't reach the phase of life of the people that I just talked about. What Jesus is saying is that there was a time <clears throat> when you wore what you wanted and did what you wanted and went where you wanted, but there is a coming time when you will be taken where you do not want to go. He uses this really strange phrase that seems like it almost doesn't fit. He says that you will stretch out your hands. And obviously when you read verse 19, you know what that means. The thing is, that's not part of the dialogue. Jesus didn't say verse 19. John says verse 19. About the little comment there. Except for the following that is. Stretch out your hands, he says, you will do. Now especially considering recent events, Peter would have known exactly what Jesus was alluding to without John's little commentary of what Jesus was alluding to. The stretching and this verbiage that he uses uh, took place when a condemned prisoner was tied to his cross beam and forced to carry his cross to the place of execution. That's what Jesus did at Calvary. You don't carry the entire cross with the vertical and horizontal beam. You carry the horizontal beam and you have your arms, your hands stretched out and the verbiage would be very intentional Peter, you're going to stretch out your hands. The crossbeam would be placed on the prisoner's neck and shoulders, and his arms would be tied to it, and he would then be led away to death. Like I said, especially considering recent events, Peter would have known what Jesus was saying. And here's the thing. I can't imagine being told the way that I'm going to die. No matter when that was going to happen, Caleb, you're going to die in a car accident. I feel like every time I got behind the wheel, I'd be petrified. You know what I mean? Caleb, you're going to die of heart disease. I would change my diet immediately. Just because that strikes a certain fear in you, doesn't it? But here's the thing. Peter was told that he would die a crucified death for the cause of Christ. Here's the reality. Guys, Christian tradition tells us that Peter lived three decades with that prediction doubtless in the back of his mind whenever he stuck his neck out for Christ. Three decades. By the time the book of John was written around the year 70 AD or so, this prediction would have already come to pass. History tells us that it did come to pass. Church historians and early church figures, they tell us that Peter was in fact crucified, that he did in fact take the words of verse 19 
he did glorify God by his martyrdom. Look at verse 19 again. This he said to show by what kind of death, look at this term, he was to glorify God. And after saying this, this part about the way you're going to die, Peter, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And I'm going to add a little term here. He says, follow me anyway. Follow me in spite of the reality that I just dropped in front of you. In effect, Jesus is saying, being my disciple will lead you to paths that that part of you will not want to go. Follow me anyway. We don't know the level of sacrifice of Jesus that Peter is going to undergo. We don't know that. Personally, we, we're not martyrs. But we don't have to do or to, to feel that way as Peter felt, to feel its convicting truth. My point is this. Being a follower of Jesus, just like Jesus is trying to tell Peter, it will mean that part of you will not want to follow Jesus. At some point, following Jesus will mean that part of you will not want to follow Jesus at some point. You won't want to read your Bible if it means giving up sleep. You won't want to forgive someone else because it will make you feel weak. You won't want to apologize to somebody else that you have friction and conflict with because it will damage your own ego. And I would rather not follow Jesus in this moment to preserve me. You won't shepherd your kids if it means you have to turn off the television. You won't give up internet on your phone if it means you crucify the addiction of pornography. There will come a point in your life, and it happens every day, where you got to choose. Part of me doesn't want to do this. Well, I follow him anyway. You should have those crossroads every day in your life. It's a choice. Peter was given that choice. And man, what a weight. The guy that betrayed Jesus is told, you're going to die a crucified death. And Peter says, I'm down with that. I'm going to follow you anyway. It's weighty. And here's the thing, if you have that inner war, part of you doesn't want to, and yet you know you need to. If you have that inner war, you are in good company. I have that inner war. Peter had that inner war. John had that inner war. Jesus had the war of whether or not he was going to be faithful to the Father. You're in good company. Follow Jesus anyway. We'll see this in verse 19. Refusal to follow Jesus, simply put, is a refusal to glorify God. Follow me, he says. Number three, my follow me recommission. Number three is to bloom where you are planted. Bloom where I'm planted. So, just to recap events, Peter had been confronted with a staggering prophetic word about his own commission. As a shepherd, Peter has to feel flawed, and yet Jesus says, tend my sheep, you're going to be the shepherd. And he'd then been confronted with another staggering prophetic word about his own death as a crucified martyr. And now, in a very relatable moment, he asks Jesus, this is great, what about John? (laughs) This is one of his best friends. He sees John right behind him. He says, what about that guy? Look at it. Verse 20. You told me I'm going to die. Okay, he says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? So just a little call back there. 
It's John, okay? He's walking behind them, not sure if able to hear, but probably considering John is the one telling this story. Maybe he's eavesdropping. Verses 21 through 24 says this, When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Remember, Peter just been confronted with his, his task, his commission, as well as his martyrdom that would eventually come. Peter sees him and says to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? This is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things and who has written about or written these things and we know that his testimony is true. And there's a lot of things that I can unpack there, but we're just going to hit the high points. Jesus essentially gives Peter a very firm response, and I'm going to paraphrase it in some, some you know, common terms. Essentially what he says to Peter, when Peter says, you've told me all these things, what about my best friend and co-worker, by the way? What about that guy? What about John? You're giving me this heavy word. Be a pastor, a shepherd of men. I'm going to be a martyr for you. What about John? And Jesus essentially says, none of your business. Follow me. It's a stern response. It really is. I'm reading that tone the right way. It's firm. None of your business, he says. Follow me. You follow me. You see, Peter had been called to pastor and feed God's people his word. He had been told that he would be crucified for the glory of God. But John would be different. John would live a long life as a mentor and as a disciple maker. He would be revered in the Christian community. Though there would be a myth circulating that he would not die, he would eventually die on a Mediterranean island exiled from civilization. That island's called Patmos. He would spend years writing letters to churches as well as document the end time revelation of God, which is the book of Revelation. And of course, he would pen the testimony of the life of Christ, which we know as the Gospel of John. It's a different life than Peter would live. Peter and John would walk very different paths of obedience, full of different joys, but also full of different struggles. And the principle is clear. He's instructing Peter, Peter, follow me. And the principle for us is the same. Follow Jesus. Trust God's sovereign plan for your life, regardless of the things God does in someone else's life. Trust God's sovereign plan for your life, regardless of the things that he sovereignly does in someone else's life. The way that I'm phrasing that this morning is to bloom where you are planted. God has given you your circumstances so that you can bring him glory in those circumstances. He has so foreordained and pre-designed your life to be as it is so that you would give him glory in your life as it is. With your income, not somebody else's income, glorify God as your circumstances are. With your friend group, not somebody else's friend group. With your popularity, not with somebody else's popularity. With your spouse, not with somebody else's spouse. With your kids, as broken as they are. Glorify God in your circumstances. Don't worry about the other guy. Glorify God with your boss, with your job, with your church. Don't be so filled with wanderlust or envy or discontentment in your circumstances that you are missing the God-glorifying opportunities that you enter into every morning when your, eye, when your eyes behold a new day 
Guys, listen. Is God sovereign? Is he? Yes. No, sovereign means means he's in control. Is God in control? Yes. If you believe that, if the answer is yes, trust that every waking moment of the day are not accidental moments, but that those moments are moments that he wants you to follow him. He wants you to follow him every moment of every day. Is he sovereign? Is he? Yes. Now take the words of Jesus. Follow me. Follow God in your circumstances. Don't be so filled with wanderlust, of envy, of discontentment that you're missing the facts that God has given you what He has given you for a purpose. Peter missed that. And so Jesus taught him that. And so we are seeing in this example of Peter that we need to learn the same thing. But God, what about this guy? But God, what about that job? But God, what about... What about the tires that I can't afford to put on my car? What about the car that I can't afford to buy for my kid? What about my mom that has just forsaken me? God, what about my kids that don't follow Christ? God, what about my school where I feel like a loser? What about my boss who hates me? Is God sovereign? sovereign. Glorify God in your circumstances. He's put you there for a reason. Peter had to learn that the hard way. Bloom where you're planted. We'll conclude how John concludes in verse 25. This is the big finish, right? We've been here a long time. Let's look at verse 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Guys, I don't think that this is an exaggeration. It sounds like one, but I don't think that it is. The work of Jesus wasn't just relegated to the 33 years of his life on earth. God has been at work in Christ for thousands of years since the beginning. In Genesis 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the agent of creation. In Genesis 3, the Bible tells us that the false promised redeemer is that Jesus, that in suffering a painful blow, he would deliver the death blow to death. In Genesis 18, the Bible tells us that the servant of the Lord, that's Christ, appeared to Abraham to promise that he would have a lineage that would bless the earth. He would be that redeeming blessing. Around 300 times in Scripture, Jesus is the subject of the salvation foretold by the prophets. That sort of salvation would, by the way, eventually come. We read about that at the beginning of the Gospels where he was born of a virgin, that he was miraculous in his ministry, that he was sinless in life, saving in death, supreme in resurrection, and sovereign in rule. God's been at work. God's been at work. And that hasn't changed. Even now he is seated victorious, interceding even now as your Savior, worthy of power and honor and glory as your Lord. He has made and is making all things new each day as individuals are daily crossing over from death to life. Guys, the story is still being written. 
The story is the good news of the gospel. And the good news is that no matter what you read in the media, what you see on social media, our God reigns. He was crucified. He was murdered for his glory, for your good, that you also may cross over from death to life because he took your place in death so that you could stand with him in life. Gospel. It's gospel. Doubtless. The world's books could not possibly contain the wonders of Christ. And as wonderfully as this book that we've been examining for over a year and a half paints Jesus, even John admits that it doesn't even do his work justice. It's not great. Church. What John's saying here, what I'm saying here, is that we've barely scratched the surface. We have barely scratched the surface, and yet we have seen him as incomparably glorious. Listen, I don't know your situation. I don't know your problems. I don't know you better than you know yourself. I don't know. But I want you to hear me say this. We're finishing a gospel that is geared toward moving you. Stirring your affections. Getting you to see Christ for who He is. And as a result, submitting to Christ for who He is. And so my closing words for you is enough playing church, enough going through the motions in life. Enough. You're not just here because this is what you do on Sundays. Enough. This is more important than the paycheck you pull every day. This is more important than the grades that you're landing every day. This is more important. This isn't what you do on the weekend because it's what you do. This is your life. And so I'm going to close the same way that this book closes. Jesus is infinitely wonderful and you will never reach the pit of how wonderful that, 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 that pit is. But hear this. I'll ask you the same question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love him? Do you love him? Yes? Then show him. Let's pray. We want to thank you for listening to this week's sermon. For more information, you can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash the Spring Hill Baptist. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m as we seek to make much of Jesus in loving above all else.